Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon, and I'm joined today by Ann Gary. This time for a discussion on the economic buyer meeting. Hey, Ann, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Looking forward to this. I hope we're going to have a little bit of fun here. Hey, Ann, in his two podcasts on the Revenue Builders, Tony Paranello, the author of Getting to Veto, the very important top officer, discussed the reasons why it is important to get to Veto. And Tony also gave us some proven strategies for getting getting the meeting with Veto, or as we might describe Veto as the economic buyer. We also had Richard Rivera, author of the book, The Champion Sell on the Revenue Builders podcast. And he discussed the many ways to find, understand, develop, educate, and motivate a champion because that champion will help us gain access to the economic buyer. And what I think we should discuss today, Ann, is what do we do once we actually have a meeting with the EB scheduled? You know, what should we be prepared to discuss? And what are some common questions the economic buyer is going to ask us during the meeting? So, Ann, first, let's start by grounding the audience and let's give a definition of who you believe, you know, the economic buyer is. Okay, well, I'd like to start off with who I don't think the economic buyer is, because I think a lot of times people will make mistakes on this. First, a lot of folks think it might be the CFO, even if the CFO has to scrutinize the decision. It's really not the CFO. The finance person who approves the decision, a lot of times people think that that's who it is. Um, the third one that I think we'll get confused by is the person who you know, only has approval, approval of the budget, but that's not necessarily the economic buyer either. Okay. Well, in many ways, I can see why some salespeople can get confused. I mean, those answers are all completely reasonable for someone to think that any of these people could be the economic buyer. So a common definition we should use for the EB is this. The economic buyer is the person with discretionary use of the funds, discretionary use of the funds. Yeah, exactly. That means when you think about discretion over the budget, they can reallocate budget from one project to another, from one department to another, from one purchase requisition to another. And the most important thing is they have the authority to make that final decision. So a critical point is that only the economic buyer can confirm whether or not buying your product is a priority for the business. Right. And that's so important for people to understand. I mean, someone may have budget, but they may not have the discretionary authority to add to the budget, delete from the budget, change the budget by reallocating monies from one budget project to another or budgets from one department to another. And I want to stress the other point that you made, which is that once the EB says, yes, I approve, the monies flow. And what the reason I'm stating that is other people may still have to 
quote unquote rubber stamp the flow of monies, but that's just a formality within their internal approval process. So that, so with, with that as a definition of the EB, how do you think that affects the sales process? Well, with that definition, I mean, it has a huge effect on the sales process. If you think about it, the economic buyer meeting should be a stage in the sales process. Um, and when you think about the economic buyer essentially becomes the go, no-go stage of the sales process. So when you think about like a POV or a POC need to actually have that meeting to assure that they're on board before you actually embark in the, the technical validation event. So you might think of the EB meeting as a wall in the sales process. Okay. And so you're saying we should think of the economic buyer meeting as a, as a wall. And I think what you mean is you have a successful EB meeting in which the customer's priority to buy and funds to make the purchase are confirmed by the EB. You made it over the wall. You get to complete the remainder of your sales process. But then again, the opposite's true, right? An unsuccessful meeting with the EB means you hit the wall in your sales process. Your purchase recommendation's been rejected by the EB. But why would our sales process be over? Well, we talked about this earlier. If the economic buyer has discretion over the budget and your product wasn't budgeted for, which I see often happening, or they might have partial budget for it, and the EB decides that the product wasn't strong enough to actually put priority in terms of changing that reallocation you know, from for their business priorities, then the sales process is over because there aren't sufficient funds really to, or budget to buy. Yeah, and I think that's really critical for people that sell products that are like, especially if you're in a startup, no one's ever bought your product before. This is a really critical point because there is no allocated budget for that product. So you're probably going to have to essentially steal monies from another project. And that's why you have to get to the economic buyer since they're the only ones that have discretionary use over those funds. So Ian, let's um let's go back to the sales process then. This is why, you know, as salespeople, we need to have done all the correct work prior to the EB meeting so we can ensure that the proposal that we're providing is strong enough for the EB to want to allocate budget, reallocate budget dollars to our project instead of other projects. And the, the other thing that salespeople need to think about here is you're not just competing against your competition in this sale. A lot of times you're competing against all the other things that people are fighting for to steal budget dollars also. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So if you think about it, the information gathering and preparation prior to the economic buyer meeting is so critical. If you think about the, the needs of understanding what the largest business pain is, just like you talked about, you know, if, if the economic buyer has a lot of other initiatives going on, we need to understand that we have the, you know, the largest or we're actually addressing the largest business pain. We have to develop trust with a champion so that they can speak on our behalf and sell on our behalf when, when we're not there. We talked about that before. And then we should be preparing a preliminary cost justification. And that's really going to determine the success of the, of the economic buyer meeting. So it's the critical reason reps need to slow down during the discovery stage and the scoping stages of a sales process to make sure you've done those two stages really well and to prepare for that EB meeting. <clears throat> when you think about it, you're also having to prepare not only uh, the economic buyer for the economic buyer meeting, but you're also having to prepare the champion to make sure they have 
the answers to these questions within that meeting as well. Yeah, you're right. I think it's actually, you know, as Richard Rivera said, this is really where you find and you develop a champion. If you're doing these two stages right and you're slowing down, you'll you'll find a champion during these two stages. So going back now to the economic buyer meeting, the key to a successful economic buyer meeting is how you prepare for it with your champion. So you need to ensure that you have agreement with your champion on the EB deliverables for the meeting, right? So you should discuss, I think, the proposed talk track with your champion prior to the EB meeting. You shouldn't just walk in to the EB meeting and you never discussed what's going to occur in that meeting with the economic buyer if you've if you've never talked to your champion about it. So let's think about some of the things that you should be prepared. You know, one, what are the topics for the meeting? What's the proposed outcome? Like, what does success look like? Three would be the common objections. You know, you have to prepare your champion to, to know that there's going to be certain objections that the economic buyer is going to, going to, you know, hand out and you have to be prepared to handle those. And then I think the roles that each of you play, meaning which part of the agenda will you discuss and what part of the agenda will your champion discuss? And also like guardrails for the meeting, meaning what topics are absolutely necessary that we discuss and what topics are simply unnecessary to discuss. So knowing that you're totally prepared for the meeting should give you and your champion comfort with the agenda and the proposed outcome. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. You know, if you think about a, a really good champion will brief the economic buyer before the meeting and really that meeting becomes ceremonial. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, in a typical economic buyer meeting, you'll need to substantiate a number of items. And, and here's kind of a list that we'll go through, and then we'll go through a little bit more detail on these, I think. But okay. the first one is, we need to talk about the company's current state, right? What is the as-is state or the the before situation? It's really the uncomfortable situation that they're sitting in today. It's like, like the problem statement, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then if you think about the negative business consequences of the current state. Now, one of the things I see happen often here is we might talk about that in a qualitative way. You know, we, we put words to it, but we don't really quantify what that negative consequence might be. So that would be the next thing I would I would make sure I'm prepared to, to discuss. Meaning that you have to quantify the as is state. Yes, exactly. If you can't quantify the as is and the to be states, then you really have no difference and there's no real cost justification. Exactly. And I think, too, the earlier you quantify the situation they're in, the easier it is to get that information, because eventually they're going to figure out that they want your solution and negotiation will start. And then it's going to be more difficult to get that kind of information. That's a really good point. Really good point. So then I would also go to what's the to be state. We've talked about this before or the, you know, what could the world look like in an ideal state if we actually were able to do these things. And just like we talked about quantification of the negative consequences, you need to quantify what those positive business outcomes will look like. Absolutely. So here's the thing I think is, is, is interesting. When I look at the as is and the to be, then I look at what is the delta between the two. And of course, the larger the delta between the two, the more the com they're compelled to take action to actually do something about it. But That's they're going to, again, it's why you have to quantify. Exactly, exactly. And so they're going to come back to you and say, okay, you know, I understand what the, the before situation is and I understand what the, 
you know, the situations that you could likely get us to, but how am I going to get there? And those are really the required capabilities to be able to achieve that. And when you get into those required capabilities, a couple of things that are important. One is the customer needs to own them. I think all too often we own them. We think it's our problem and it's not. It's really the customer's problem to solve. And so they need to own those required capabilities. And the second thing is, is that that's our time to go in and really start differentiating differentiating ourselves from the competition. So yes. when we describe those required capabilities. So that's that's my my way of stating, you know, what do we need to do or what can we help them do to get from the before to the after? What about customer success stories? Do you ever talk about those? Definitely, because if you think about an economic buyer is is interested in, you know, alleviating the risk, right, of moving forward. And so they're going to be interested in where have you done this before? You know, how quickly did you get it done? Because they're really looking at not just the ROI, but how soon are they going to get that payback? And those those customer success stories help you to describe the way that um, they can potentially see the risk reduced, right, of doing something like this. Well, it's also because you've been in this situation so many times that customers think that they're the only ones in the world that have that problem. Meanwhile, we've been making sales calls, 100 sales calls, and we all of the customers have the same problem, right? But they kind of think, well, we're the only ones that have that. So when you share other customer stories of these same customers had these same problems as you, and here was the outcome, you know, I think it gives them some comfort that Definitely. you can get them there. You can get them to that business outcome that you and talked that, about. And that's really the value that we should be providing, right? I mean, we're doing this every day. We're calling on customers. We're seeing these repeated. It's like pattern recognition. We see you right. know, the, the things that are <laughs> happening over and over again, and we can go back and express that with them. That's so I it. agree with you the comfort. That's good. The last thing I think is, is important is confirming the remaining decision process steps. So for instance, if we're going to be doing a POV or a POC, you know, what kind of final cost justification needs to be done? There's all kinds of, you know, you might get information from someone lower level in this, this whole project, but I want to confirm with the economic buyer, you know, what are those additional steps and what do they require to make sure they're comfortable as you stated? Yeah, this is where we talked about doing the champions uh, podcast where, when you have a really good champion, your sales process can turn from unpredictable to predictable. But it's really nice if you can confirm the same things that you're hearing with the champion, you can confirm them with the economic buyer. And now you can lay out, you know, for your sales leaders, this is the exact remaining steps of these of this sales process. We do these things right, we're going to get the deal. Exactly, exactly. Very predictable remaining parts of the sales process. Okay, so Ann, let's discuss some general but critical items that salespeople need to do prior to the meeting. Well, I gotta tell you, first do your homework. I mean, we talk about this a lot, but eight out of 10 executives say that in a lot of sales meetings, they just feel like they're wasting their time because salespeople come in, they're unprepared, you know, they're they're hammering them with discovery and scoping questions that they should have been asking, you know, other people within the organization. And quite frankly, they lose patience because, you know, you should be doing the job of getting that information. Not right. they're, not, they're not there to help you do your job. Right. You need to have done your homework before you enter their office. Right. Exactly. I think, I think that's where you can um, you talked about differentiating yourself as a salesperson. I think the second thing that people need to do is they need to be a business partner. 
not a salesperson. And you think of yourself as a business partner, that's how you can differentiate yourself. So be someone that helps them run their business. Don't explain business issues they already know. Instead, inform them about you know, a business issue that they didn't consider. Explain the things they haven't thought of that'll directly affect their business. And you can do a lot of that, not only by being very knowledgeable about the use case that your product fits into, but you can also research the company's website, their annual report, the 10K report, shareholder letters, analyst presentations, where you get to understand the company's business objectives, strategic initiatives, business risks, and their competition. And that's that's critical also, and to understand who's their competition and what are they doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the next thing is, is to make sure you position your solution to align with the company's performance, but also the job performance of the person who's actually going to make the decision. Yes. Boy, yes. I think we miss that often. So if you think about the first instance, you'll link your solution to revenue growth, reduction in cost, you know, reduction in risk at the corporate level. And I see all too often, you know, we get excited about the technology and we aren't making that connection back to those corporate objectives. But the other thing that's really important is if you think about, you know, we're selling individuals and they have KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, they have things that they're measured on. So we need to link the solution and what we're doing also to the business outcomes that they're looking to achieve right? That will help them actually achieve their personal job measures. Yeah. It could so, be, you know, like you talked about, and most people try to put it in terms with the economic buyer, as far as like revenue and costs, and you talk about risks, but it could be things like time to market. It could be number of leads. It could be a whole bunch of different things on how they're measured. So understanding that and putting your solution in those terms really helps to align and help you help you get the deal. I think the other thing, Ann, is especially when you get to the economic buyer, you got to speak on their business terms, which is we're, we're kind of covering that now, but the terms that you discussed and resonated with your champion, they may not be the same terms that resonate with the economic buyer. The t- you know, the typical economic buyer may be on the executive team reporting to, let's say maybe the CEO, and they may have a slightly different view of the world than your champion because they may be held accountable to different company measures. For instance, I remember one time we went and sold a big, a big deal and the VP of engineering was measured on engineering costs, but the economic buyer was measured on production costs and the amount of scrap that we would save with our product helped him turn more of his production back on. And that was more important to him Whereas engineering costs were more important to the champion. So trying to understand how the economic buyer is measured and putting in their business terms, that's really critical. Yeah, so let's let's go a little deeper on, you know, I, I went through a bunch of different lines in terms of what we should prepare for, but let's go a little deeper okay. in that. I think that sure. would be helpful. We could talk about some examples. So if you think about the, uh, the as is to be state, you know, here the salesperson really needs to discuss the customer's current situation, the before situation, and then talk about you know, how good things can be. And that what you might call that a pain or quantified pain statement. But here's an example. So if you look at you know, <clears throat> large manufacturers today, many of them are having to think about how are they going to incorporate software into their products? 
And it's it's a requirement now to be agile in a way that they haven't had to really think about it you know, in years past. So if you think about the pain statement for some of these these you know, large manufacturers, it might be, you know, we understand that it currently takes you 26 weeks and a cost of X dollars. And it took, you know, that, you know, X number or Y number of people to get this done, to get the software portion of the electric vehicle incorporated. Yeah, yeah but a lot of times you got to even take it further. And, you know, if you really think about what happens down process, doesn't that also mean what you just said that there's also probably an increase in the company's time to market, which in turns most likely increase their product costs. So that's why salespeople really need to understand the full ramifications of the pains in a customer's process. Yeah. And, and take that even a step further, right? The delayed time to market that we're talking about, you know, yeah. has caused a potential loss in the market share to the competition as well. So that's where you're really up leveling, right? Yes. The, uh, the issue that someone's running into. And if the, if the current pains aren't resolved, you know, the business is going to have to go back and hire you know, highly paid engineers. If you think about, you know, the the what software engineers are making these days, I mean, that's that's a lot of money going into you know, having to hire these engineers to decrease their time to market. So, what's actually going to happen is, okay, they're you know they're they're late to market, so they may be losing to the competition, but also their product costs are soaring because they haven't been able to you know, hire these highly paid engineers. Along with, then the company is just priced less competitively because of all right. those products. Absolutely. Yeah. So solving those issues, it would create a positive business outcome that could take care of it. Yeah. Like once again, you know, let's say, you know, the productivity increase of, you know, let's call it X percent would drastically reduce costs by, you know, X millions of dollars and then decrease the time to market by a number of weeks or months. And that would also allow the company to be more price competitive and potentially gain, you know, a certain percentage of market share. That's really how these statements need to be made. And you need to, that's another reason why you need to understand how are these people measured and which one of these am I going to really highlight the most? Love it. And then if you think about the, um, you know, we, we talked about having the required capabilities in this meeting identified and the differentiation, you know, after you've worked with the, the champion and the team and based on those interactions, right, we believe that the solution is going to be able to help you attain those positive business outcomes that we've quantified. But in order to do that, there's these minimum required capabilities to get there. And again, that's where we go in and start talking about, you know, how we're differentiated and, you know, not in terms of specific product talk, but more in terms of how we would differentiate the ability for them to be able to accomplish, you know, those, you know, the decreased time to market, et cetera. Yeah. Your unique differentiators that align to their specific pain points. These are the items that have to be in the decision criteria for the validation event. This is where you win the POV right here. Exactly. And I really want to add this in because I see this is, is something that we don't do or a lot of the folks that I've worked with have not been doing is that you're really putting together a preliminary ROI. Because if you think about it, if your ROI, your preliminary ROI is not going to be substantial enough for them to actually make that decision to reallocate budget, why would you go into any of these POCs or POVs? It's just wasting their time with all these people that are on it as long and as well as wasting your own time and your own company resources. So you have to be quite confident in the ROI since many customers really are, they're going to go back and ask for 
what does the ROI look like? And you mentioned it before, these proof points, right? With regards to these success stories. Exactly. You got to give them some confidence that you've done this a number of times. They're not the only company that this you've seen these issues with. They're not going to be the only company that, you know, where you're going to do the POV and it's going to highlight that you can actually solve these problems. And that's what goes into your preliminary ROI, but it's also where you can highlight customer success stories. Love it. All right. So I'd like to ask you, are there a certain group of questions that you think we should be asking the economic buyer? Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of questions that people can ask. I think, you know, you don't want to, like you said, you don't want to hammer the economic buyer with a bunch of questions, but you might ask, you know, based upon the issues that we highlighted, where on your priority list do this, does these business issues actually rank? Is this like number 10? Is this number one? Or are you just, you know, do you just not care? Because you're with the economic buyer. This is the one person that we said has discretionary use of the funds. And if it's really not important to them, you know, it's time to go someplace else. But if it is really important to them and it's really high on their priority list, it gives you a lot of confidence that you're going down the right road. The other one I'd like to confirm, even though we talked about it with the champion, is what specific business measure does this issue most affect? Like we talked about, is it time to market? Is it profitability? Is it, you know, going against the competition? What is it? And all again, all you're doing is it's confirming maybe what you already heard from the from the champion. And then I'd like to ask, you know, when would you, if this is a problem, when would you prefer to solve this issue? So now you're getting a time frame from the economic buyer. You're not making one up. You're not just asking the champion. Again, it's a confirmation, but it's a solid one. And then would you be willing to allocate budget? If this thing's going to cost, you know, $5 million, do you have $5 million in your budget to, to pay for this, right? The other one is besides yourself, is there anyone else required to approve a purchase of this size? I'd love well, to I, ask that question because I think I'm sitting in front of the economic buyer. I think I have my champion here, but maybe I'm just not, maybe, maybe it's not really the economic buyer. So besides yourself, there anyone else required to approve a purchase of this size? And they may say, yes, there's a couple other people, but that's just a rubber stamp. When I say it goes, it goes. Hey, Dad, I got to jump in on that one real quick. Go for it. Go for because it. Because it's interesting when you ask people at a lower level, they they might actually be gatekeepers and say, oh, no, you know, I'm I'm the only one. You just need to work through me. But when you get into these executive roles with executive buyers, they are going to tell you this is what we're going to have to do. So they're a lot more straightforward with you and direct about yes. what needs to happen. So I'm really glad you threw that one in. Well, that can also happen, too, when you say, well, you know, if somebody says, well, I control the budget. OK, well, I mean, it's going to cost two million dollars. Do you have two million in your budget. <laughs> you can almost see them shrink in front exactly. of you. And then the last one might be, you know, if we're successful with this POV, what would be the remaining steps in your decision process? And what I'm trying to do is with the champion, we talked about how you can move the process from unpredictable to predictable. But now, again, you're confirming with the economic buyer that these are the the remaining steps in your decision process. And, you know, this deal is going to go if you've had a really successful economic buyer meeting and you know all the steps that are that are remaining. So, Anne, how about you? And uh, you have any other questions that you like to ask the economic buyer? Well, actually, I think there's a lot of questions around, you know, how the muchness, soonness, sureness, easiness that we talked about before. Yeah. So I'd love to hear from you. 
in terms of what questions do you expect to hear from the economic buyer back to us? Yeah, we covered some of this in like, you know, specific terms, but in general, I like to be prepared to understand, you know, muchness, soonness, sureness, easiness. Let's talk about muchness, how much they're going to ask, how much is it going to cost? How much does it cost to implement? How much will I save? Soonness, you know, how soon can the solution be implemented? How soon before the company sees a return on the investment? How soon before my people are trained? Um, sureness, you know, how sure are you that your product will work in their environment? How sure are you of the cost justification? Which one of your customers can the customer speak to to be sure of this thing? Because you just gave out, you know, a couple customer success stories. And easiness, how easy is it to implement? How easy is it for the company's people to learn how to use it? Are there any other? I mean, that's what I like to think about in general terms when I'm going into an economic buyer meeting, because the questions are typically going to fit in those four categories. Mm-hmm. Are there any other questions you like to ask, Ann? I, I think the probably the most important ones at the end. I mean, I think those questions are fantastic because, you know, if you think about those, that's what they're thinking about. Right. That's what they need to answer in their own mind before they make the decision. But there's there is another one that. Uh, I like to ask if we could come back and meet with them, but it would only be under a couple of conditions. So you're you're asking for basically approval, right? To come back and meet with them. And I think these are the two conditions that we need to be looking at is if the final business case is materially different than what we actually put together for our preliminary justification, we'd like to have the opportunity to come back and, and meet with them. Because if that is shifting, Again, and and that justification isn't going to be strong enough for them to be able to reallocate the budget. Again, why go into this, you know, perhaps this validation event? But also right on that point, and sorry, before you go to the next one is, um, you know, we built a preliminary cost justification with our champion. But a lot of times you've, you've seen this movie, too. You go into the POV, you start meeting more people. And you start getting more and more details about their process. And next thing you know, what you thought was a $3 million savings turns out to be a $10 million savings. And you'd really like to go back to the economic buyer if you're asking for, let's say, $2 million and say, it's not a $3 million savings. I'm with the champion right here, and it's guaranteed $10 million savings. So, you know, you might ask for more money, but certainly, you know, you're going to get to $2 million deal. Mm, that's great, because I'm thinking about the opposite direction, and you're thinking right. about it could be a much better <laughs> Really good point. I'm Even glass is half full. You're not thinking glass is half empty, are you? <laughs> uh, I think the other thing that's important is if anyone decides to significantly change the criteria, like if you're you're sitting in this POC or this technical validation event, and all of a sudden the criteria is shifting on you, I think it's critical to be able to go back and meet with the economic buyer to make sure that they agree with not only the POV, but the process for making the decision. Because we all know, you know, as we get into these situations, the collective yes, you, you mentioned that already, all these people start to get involved and that collective yes and navigating through that is difficult. So I think it's important that we, you know, we look at both um, not only the justification changing, but also the POV and the process changing and any of that decision criteria. Yeah, the reason I I personally love to ask that question is I'd love to ask that question if the enemy's champion is in the room. So let's say it's the economic buyer, my champion, and 
the enemy's champion. I'd like to ask, you know, if anyone decides to significantly change our agreed to validation criteria for the POV or the remaining steps, and I'm looking at the economic buyer as we say this, can I call you? And all you're really doing is shooting a cannonball across the bow of the enemy's champion saying, don't even think about changing anything because I got this thing wired. And if you try to change anything, I'm calling, I'm calling the economic buyer. So I love, I love that. If you don't do that, sometimes the enemy's champion can actually get pretty emboldened. They know there's a deal here because you've proven with the economic buyer that they have discretionary use over the funds. You've proven that there's a pain that he wants to solve the pain. All the qualifying questions that you asked, they were in that same meeting. And now they think, oh, this is all approved. I'll just take charge here and I'll I'll knock over the the champion instead of, you know, so you got to be careful. And it's a really great question to ask, I think. I love the fact that, you know, you want to have the competition's champion in the meeting. I mean, a lot of people, people are like, oh, let's avoid the let's avoid those people. Let's avoid the competition. But better yet, have them in the room hearing these are the conditions. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's also why you want to prepare your champion because there's going to the enemy's champion is really a mouthpiece for your competition. So the competition is going to hand the economic, I mean, the uh, enemy's champion a number of different, um, you know, objections about your product to, mm-hmm. you know, create fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And what you need to have your champion prepared to be able to handle a lot of those issues. Uh, which is you point you, you can't made, sit there in front of the economic buyer and handle them all because it's the first time that you're meeting with them. You don't have any real credibility. Your only credibility is based upon the fact that the champion brought you to the meeting. So you need your champion to handle a lot of those where they say, oh, yes, we've looked into that. We've done our homework on that. That's really not an issue. And here's why it's not an issue. I think mm. it's really important to prepare your champion for that. Otherwise, if you're sitting there and you're handling all that stuff, it's going to get a, the meeting's going to get a little ugly. No, that's really good. Cause if you, you talked about, you know, some of the points to be prepared for. And quite honestly, we probably know more about what the objections are going to be because again, we worked with all these clients. Again, it's that whole right. pattern recognition thing. So yeah, I, I agree with you on, on that one for sure. Well, good. Anne. anything else you got, you want to add? No, I think this is great. I think, I think yeah. the most important thing again is, is making sure that you know who the economic buyer is. And we think we did a great job of that. I think in terms of how to prepare for the economic buyer meeting, I think we went through that. I think I'd leave people with just make sure you're always quantifying. That's that's just such, such a critical part of the EB part of it. Yeah. Well done, Ann. Another good riff. And thanks, thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.